Healthcare shouldn't be different depending on where you are. It should be the same regardless of where you are, regardless of your race, of your economic status. I'm John Torek. And I'm Danny Sullivan. And you're listening to Speaking of Design, bringing you the stories of the engineers and architects who are transforming the world one project at a time. Today, we bring you another episode of a special podcast series on behavioral and mental health called Listen, Mental Health Matters. As part of this series, Brian Giebink, behavioral and mental health practice leader at HDR, visits some of the world's leading healthcare providers for candid conversations about the challenges they face and the opportunities to transform the patient and caregiver experience. I'm Brian Giebink, and I hope that by listening, the series helps us consider new perspectives in our quest to create transformational mental health facilities that improve the quality of life for individuals and families and promote a shared sense of community. And now Brian's conversation with Shannon Sale, Executive Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer, and Ann Hernandez, Vice President of Behavioral Health for Grady Health System in Atlanta, Georgia. Good afternoon. I'm very happy to be here. I'm Brian Giebing. I'm HDR's Behavioral and Mental Health Practice Leader. I'm an architect and, and planner and focus specifically on designing behavioral health spaces. With me today is Shannon Sale and Ann Hernandez with Grady Health System. We're going to hear from them about their journey into and, and through their, their behavioral health. And so I think we'll just have each of you briefly introduce yourself to get started. Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, that's great. Good afternoon. I'm Shannon Sale. I'm the Executive Vice President, Chief Strategy Officer for Grady Health System, and I've been with the health system for 11 years. Hi, I'm Ann Hernandez, Vice President of Behavioral Health at Grady. I've been here for 10 years. Glad both of you are here with us today. So to start, uh, can you give us a high-level overview of your system? So Grady is the largest safety net in Georgia and among the largest in the country. We have one acute care hospital with a license capacity for 953 beds. We're building to about 900 of those right now. We're supported by neighborhood health centers throughout Atlanta. We have six of those a large infectious disease program called our Pont Center. We have a variety of other supporting services, including we respond to all 911 calls in the city of Atlanta with our hospital-based ambulance program and a variety of key services around stroke, trauma, burn, cardiac, and of course, our behavioral health services. Ann, you want to talk about the range of services that we offer for behavioral health? Sure. So we have, I would say, one of the most comprehensive continuums of behavioral health services probably in the country. As a part of our hospital, we have a psychiatric emergency room, which has a capacity for 12 individuals at a time. We have an inpatient psychiatric unit, which is a 24-bed unit at our main hospital. We have a temporary observation area that can hold up to 32 individuals while there's a determination of whether or not they need hospitalization. And then a med psych unit that will have 16 beds to work with individuals who have an acute medical and acute psychiatric need so they can receive simultaneous care. In addition to our services within the hospital, we have three comprehensive community mental health center locations that provide medication management, nursing therapy, case management, housing support, 
We have an integrated behavioral health service in all of our neighborhood clinics, primary care centers, where there's a licensed therapist and psychiatric support. We have a co-response model. So with EMS, as Shannon mentioned, we have a unit that contains a paramedic and a licensed clinician who can respond to psychiatric emergencies to prevent unnecessary emergency room visits if possible. We have just beginning to expand our justice-involved services. So for individuals who are either uh, leaving jail, um, we pick them up and help them reintegrate, or those that we're trying to prevent unnecessary arrest and incarceration, where again, we can connect them to health and behavioral health services and hopefully get their feet under them as they progress with their lives. We have probably the last thing I'll mention, we have a lots, lots of services, but we have assertive community treatment, which are three interdisciplinary teams which visit individuals wherever they are in the community, whether it's in a home, if they're unhoused, they may be in the park or at their job to help them. Again, it's a hospital without walls, so it's folks that might otherwise be in the hospital, but that can be served and supported in the community. It's amazing. It's a great, some amazing work. Uh, so, so with all of this work, how does your behavior health service line contribute to your overall systems business strategy? So it is a critical part of the business strategy. You can imagine it wasn't always kind of seen that way, um, but we have been able to move from two core services. One was inpatient and one was outpatient to the wide range that Anne just described and recognize that the role that behavioral health plays is in the whole person and be able to help folks manage their mental health and their physical health really helps the overall outcomes for the health system. And so we have integrated behavioral health within our population health strategies, our community benefit strategies. We have a lot of philanthropic support as well as health system support to be able to accomplish these strategies and again, improve the health of the whole person. What roadblocks have you faced and how have you been able to pivot and move some of your behavioral health initiatives forward? Probably the biggest hurdle that everyone faces is stigma around those that experience mental illness and or substance use and just the ability to provide proper, optimal care to folks that have some challenging behaviors at times. And so that's probably been the biggest hurdle is wherever that individual presents in the health system is to help the providers understand how they can approach and support that individual to get both their health needs and their behavioral health needs met. I would say some of the other things there, you know, for some of the more creative services and supports we're trying to provide, funding is always a challenge. As Shannon mentioned, the philanthropic um, arm through our Grady Foundation, we've got some great partners that have helped us start really innovative programs with our integrated health, within our neighborhood centers, with our housing program. That's how we actually were able to begin um, providing support for housing. And right now they're looking for some money for support employment. So I think that's been um, a huge driver to move our innovation forward. I'd say also building on the funding. When I started at Grady, we looked to the Behavioral Health Service and it was losing X million a year. And that was a big challenge. And we've been able to close that gap by being an expert in the, the area, being a trusted partner with the county and the state and being able to be that service that they know is needed. And then the funding has helped to follow that. So there are a variety of relationships that we have. Anne just mentioned support for the housing, support for our outpatient centers, support for unfunded patients that we're able to garner, again, through being that, that trusted partner. And that has been a big change from over the last decade at Grady. 
In addition, you've mentioned some other strategies you're using to improve access. Yeah, no, well, I'll I'll mention a couple. So we started our integrated behavioral health in our neighborhood centers about six years ago. And so what we are actually in the process of doing now is adding behavioral health support specifically to specialty centers like cancer and burn. So again, trying to spread and integrate that across the health system where those needs are identified. The other piece that I think where we've really tried to expand access is opening additional outpatient clinics. So traditionally, Grady has had one very large outpatient center in January of this year, 2023, we opened to additional sites, which has allowed us to serve population in the northern part of the county. If you're not familiar with Fulton County, Georgia, it's a very long county. And so we were centrally located in downtown Atlanta, but now we have a center that's in North Fulton and one that's in South Fulton, which has also increased that access. We know that attracting and retaining quality staff is, is very challenging, not just for behavioral health care, but for all of health care. And, and I think burnout and, and mental health is a big part of that. So can you talk about strategies you're implementing to provide behavioral health care to your workforce? Yeah, we're very excited that we've started two new services in the last probably three years. During COVID, much like every other health system, we noted an increase in violence and just emotional stress that patients were bringing to the workplace and our staff were particularly feeling stressful coming to work during the pandemic. And so our leadership agreed and we opened a free employee resiliency clinic, which offers supportive therapy, It can be around personal issues, work issues, stress, whatever the issue is. Our traditional EAP was not meeting the need of our employees. And so we have a dedicated office with therapists who are available six days a week, day and evening hours. They can do in-person, they can do telephonic, they can do video visits. We have done a lot of, if we have a particularly traumatic event. We've had some employees who have passed away on the job. We've had multiple deaths from patients. And so we can do provide debrief and immediate response to those units so that the staff can deal with that emotional stress. And so that's been, I think, a huge success for us. The other thing that we started, again, kind of as a result of different populations that were being brought to the hospital, whether they needed to be in a hospital or not. We have a lot of individuals with intellectual disabilities, autism, that often get dropped off at the hospital for their own safety, even though they don't have a medical need. And so some of those are people with neurocognitive disorders. So some of those individuals can be rather difficult to manage on a traditional nursing unit, a med surge floor. And so we've started a behavioral response team. So whether it's a patient or a family who may be having an emotional response and the nurses are unable to manage that. Um, again, it was caused a lot of stress for nurses trying to do their regular job and deal with these emotional outbursts. So we have a, a behavioral response team now that can respond and provide proactive rounding, can provide uh, behavioral planning and teaching, uh, coaching with the staff to help manage that. And again, that's been, I think, really positively received as folks feel a lot more supported and less likely to burn out because they feel like they have someone that can help them manage through that situation. In both of these examples and programs that we've been able to develop, it really is about having healthcare focused <laughs> clinicians in, from the setting to help the healthcare workers who need it. I think really understanding the environment, whether it's for a need of the resiliency team or all of the background around the patients on the units, having that kind of synergy between the teams has been really helpful. I, I don't think we would have been as successful if we'd said, okay, we're going to 
hire XYZ group to come in and try to help us with this. It's really about being a part of that team and knowing the context within which our workforce are, are working. That's so great that you're doing that for your for your workforce. So the, the next topic I wanted to ask about are the initiatives. What initiatives are you currently working on to address behavioral health needs as part of your population health strategy? So again, like many organizations, we've been implementing and reviewing social determinants of health, which obviously include things like housing insecurity and food insecurity and income, transportation, all of those um, items. And so one thing we know is, again, because of who we are, Grady, we serve a high population of uninsured individuals, and that often equates to being unhoused. And that often means very chaotic lives, unable to care for yourself, manage your appointments, keep your medications. And so, again, with the really the help of some philanthropic partners, we were able to start a housing support program, which we then leveraged to get money from our state partners. And um, hopefully we'll expand again and very shortly to add more either rapid rehousing using hoteling and then moving to more permanent um, apartments, providing case management and helping folks learn how to be a good neighbor, how to maintain their, their housing, which can be challenging if you lived on the street for 10 years. We say, lots of people say this, housing is health care. If you don't have housing, you cannot focus on your overall health. And that's not a traditional behavioral health service, I want to say, but it's critical to maintaining, again, not only their behavioral health, but their physical health as well. The other thing that we've been working on, we, Grady, have been in a partnership here in the city of Atlanta and Fulton County with other partners around justice reform. So there was a mental health and justice task force. Um, if you look at the population of individuals that are in jail, again, a huge proportion have some sort of mental health or substance use issue that's keeping them in jail often or have caused them to go to jail. It also, a lot of folks that are, again, poor have unable to make minimal bonds are held in jail longer, and so their health suffers while, while they're there. And so we have initiated quite a number of services, including an upcoming Center for Diversion and Services, where pre-booking, prior to arrest, someone can be dropped off at the center for sobering. They don't have to come to the emergency room to sober up. They can sober in the center, get connected to substance use services, housing, case management. Again, likewise, someone with a mental illness can come and and meet with others uh, with lived experience, get connected to services, both health, behavioral health. So it's a way to prevent unnecessary incarceration and uh, unnecessary hospitalization. Um, or ER usage, which is obviously a problem. And then those that are leaving um, incarceration um, that maybe have been in there for a year or two years, we help them reintegrate. And so again, it's about finding them housing, helping them find a job, get connected to benefits, you know, really reintegrate to to their highest level possible. Well, we'd certainly track all of the HEDIS measures. I think one of the early successes we had was around depression screening and getting that throughout the health system and then getting people into depression remission within yeah, within a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so being able to kind of measure, those are a lot of the measures that you would be kind of tracking to for population health and behavioral health. And again, kind of that commitment to both what happens in the traditional behavioral health setting, but throughout the health system was really, I think we had a, a good early success that I don't think we saw a lot of other folks kind of kind of get to as quickly as we did. So appreciate the leadership there. The one thing I would say, Anne said this earlier, of you know, housing isn't traditionally a part of our service or of a behavioral health service, but it is such a critical one. And for all the reasons she outlined, but as I think back to 
kind of the early days of our working towards through housing, it was kind of a, why are, should we be doing this? It was really laborious. <laughs> we weren't kind of always, it wasn't easy to get kind of reimbursed for the things that we were doing. But the team really pushed through, and that's to get us to where it is kind of a core sustainable, and then again a trusted provider for the for the city and the, the county. So that's one that I would say you know has been really critical. We cannot make these things happen if people don't have housing. We cannot get people to kind of stability if they don't have that. And so being able to kind of push through barriers there that were really around red tape and you know paperwork and things like that to to make it to make it happen was really really a critical piece. I think you mentioned HEDIS measures mm-hmm. today. Can you yes. define or explain what HEDIS measures are? But they're typically the ambulatory measures. Like, So you have inpatient measures around quality or safety events, readmissions. HEDIS would be kind of the ambulatory measures around that. So they're typically managed diabetes, managed blood pressure. Did you get vaccinations, kind of the flu, the children's vaccinations, things like that. And then a part of those measures is typically depression screening and depression remission. Got it. Well, and I will just toot our horn on the depression remission. (laughs) For those, what we've compared is overall for our neighborhood health clinics, the improvement on depression remission is running at about 15 to 16%, which is great. For those that actually get connected with our behavioral health therapist, it's more like 35 to 40% remission, and that's within 12 months. So again, I think having that that intervention, that support available shows an increase in, in that depression remission. So you have a lot of different spaces you're providing care across the continuum. Do you have any insights or lessons learned that you can share about the design of your spaces, mm-hmm. whether it's it's related to patient safety or privacy or dignity? Anything you want to yeah. elaborate on? Absolutely. So I'd say most of our behavioral health spaces, particularly within the hospital, were found spaces over time. <laughs> People, they weren't necessarily, you know, years and years ago thought to be, well, this is where behavioral health should be. And historically, they were maybe a little darker or, you know, the lighting wasn't as good or the separation wasn't as strong. And so we have been able to put in place several renovations recently that help on kind of create brighter spaces as well as more more privacy for patients. And can definitely speak to that. We've been working towards having a, really ensuring that it is a strong healing environment. And so definitely lessons learned on how we plan for that. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest struggle is, as Shannon said, most organizations are going to retrofit a space for behavioral health, and you'd really kind of ideally not like to do that. But that's, yeah, I think that's what happens, right? I mean, we're not we're not the uh, revenue generator, but I do think if you can at least then design that space in a more therapeutic way to allow for um, group interaction and and good conversation, privacy for interviews and consultation, therapy, certainly ways to decrease uh, stimulation and noise because folks can often get kind of loud. I think those kinds of bright, you know, cheerful, you want much more cheerful spaces are, are definitely necessary. Other pieces that have gone into certainly the safety for our staff. And so good line of sight, obviously, but also where you need that separation, where you can still have that line of sight, but have that separation so that you can really look out and be able to see folks, but nobody's kind of off out of sight for, for folks. And so, and that there can be, when, when we need to de-escalate a situation, that there's an ability to do that and then separate somebody as needed. And so safety is a big part of how we, how we looked at the space as well. 
Well, that's two questions. So the first one, tell us about you. We want to hear a little bit more about you and maybe your, your personal journey or, or gritty health system. And how has your background or career path built a strong foundation for you to position you as a leader in behavioral health? I have been in this field for almost four years. And I think the reason I got interesting as we were talking earlier, the reason I got into it, my father was the maintenance engineer at a state hospital. And so I was very familiar and happened to have a friend whose sister had a mental illness. And so I had just a lot of early experience uh, being with people. So I didn't have the natural, a lot of people are fearful <laughs> of individuals who have mental illness. And I didn't, I didn't have that because I, it was kind of normal for me. And so as I grew older and went to college, I decided to be a social worker. And so I've had a great experience in community mental health my entire career or with underserved. I have worked with traditionally Medicaid, Medicare populations. So I think the fit for me when I came to Grady was the chance to be within a larger health system where it was integrated with health and behavioral health. And then I've learned so much <laughs> about how to do that. I mean, it's very easy when you're in an organization that's dedicated to behavioral health to push your initiatives forward. But in a traditional healthcare system, to really do that integration has been a great learning experience and I'm blessed to have some great leaders here that have supported us in that. So my career path is a little different. <laughs> I started as a consultant, and I was a consultant for 13 years doing strategic and facility planning, probably alongside some of your colleagues at one point along the way. When I came to Grady in 2012, I became the vice president of planning and business development. I'd say what brought me to Grady and what kind of led my career through consulting was always kind of an interest and a leaning towards the safety net, the academic environment, often an urban area or rural that kind of is a part of a bigger system. System. But my personal passion was always that healthcare shouldn't be different depending on where you are. It should be the same regardless of where you are, regardless of your race, of your economic status. And so that's always been my challenge is how to make it successful to where you can put investments, you can put resources towards all of the services that people need and to be able to drive that better health outcome overall. And so that's been my focus at Grady. I am an Atlanta native. And so to be able to do this work where I grew up in the community that I grew up in, and to really help to drive kind of that overall health outcome. My fortune of being able to work directly with behavioral health services for the last four years, four or five years, has been, you know, just taking that even to the next level. And so you can do it at a strategic level and help to set those priorities, but to also be able to do it at the operational level to help to break down the barriers, to help to make sure that we get the investments to the right place really just kind of ties that thread through what I've always wanted to do and what I get to do now. Sounds like you're both very passionate about what you do and in the right place. <laughs> if you could go back to the start of your career, what's one thing you wish you would have known? So I think, you know, I think at the start of my career, kind of sitting in my Master of Healthcare Administration classes and someone saying, healthcare has never changed as much as it's changing right now, <laughs> however long ago that was. It is always evolving and changing, and that is what makes it exciting in many ways and frustrating in some ways, too. But we are always having, you know, we're always going to have to move. Some folks would say we're kind of behind the times from a business perspective, but, you know, it's really all about the payment structures and how you're able to kind of all the different forces that go into healthcare. So it is always changing and evolving, which is why we started and where we are now. I think for behavioral health, and Anne can probably speak more to this too, but I would speak 
to my time even just here, you've heard us say it kind of throughout. If behavioral health is a separate entity, then you're, you're kind of not going to optimize kind of the effectiveness of the service, the service line, and cr- truly kind of the overall health of a health system overall. And so I think, you know, my first few years here, we certainly were looking at behavioral health as, again, what happened two or three places across the health system and the losses and the things like that. But being able to move that forward and understanding that importance of integration, I wish maybe we had known a little sooner. Well, I mean, I, you know, again, my career has totally been in behavioral health. And I think what I have learned, I think, since being at Grady is I wish I'd taken more challenges and more risk earlier to push it forward because our services have evolved slowly. <laughs> I and mean, healthcare may have evolved, but behavioral health has evolved fairly slowly. And I think just taking some risk early on and really pushing those boundaries to get where we needed to for individuals, right, at that individual level. And, you know, often you just back up and say, okay, that's the way it's always been. That's the way it's going to be. And we've proven, I think, here that it doesn't have to be that way. And so I think that's probably what I would say I've learned. Take the risk. I think it's been really fantastic. And my big takeaway from our conversation is that the health system is not separate from behavioral health. Mm -hmm that they're really one and the same. Mental health is health, and we need to treat it all holistically. And you guys are doing a really great job at that. Thank you. So so thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm happy to have you on. For more information on our Listen Mental Health Matters series, please visit hdrinc.com slash listen. There you'll find more on HDR's approach to behavioral and mental health design, meet our team, and see samples of our work. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate us or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.